Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, yesterday on the programme, we were talking to Senator Lisa Chambers about um, how women feel they aren't listened to when engaging with healthcare services in Ireland because she was um, launching a new policy about this. And one of the listeners, Joanne, got in touch with us by email overnight. Joanne, what's your experience? Experience be quite similar to one of the listeners you'd on yesterday. So I started off with very, very painful periods when I was about 13. I was vomiting, like I would vomit about 13, 14 times on the first day of my period and went to numerous TPs. I was told, take paracetamol, that's fine. It's just, you know, sometimes girls get painful periods, that's it. And continued on like that for a while. Started the pills. Still had months where I wouldn't leave the house for two days because I'd just be vomiting with a bowl beside me, regardless of what what I had, um, what pain relief or anything I had. Um, but on top of that, then there was other symptoms, you know, like there was like shortness of breath, I had bloating, all these, like all these type of things, passing urine, bowels, all the symptoms. And then went to... I think I went to about six GPs in different places in Dublin and Cork. Um, all thing, or sometimes women have had bad periods. That's it. One GP. But sorry, Joanne, can I, can I just interrupt you for a second? Yeah. You know, but but you like you're vomiting what thirteen and fourteen times in the one day and yeah, in the one time until it's pure water. Like even if you've nothing in your system, but it turns out that that vomiting was from pain. So that was it. Wasn't nausea. It was just. Pure vomiting from the level of pain. And were you given anything to, you know, to try and prevent that or help it or ease it? No, or, no, no. I was taking, I was taking Nurofen Plus is what all I could take, and paracetamol, and even at that, like that would just make it sort of I could walk a little bit more, you know, a little bit yeah. at the normal pace. But that was that's all it would do, and even getting up to walk would be. Let's say, like, even I always remember, if, even if I'm in a double bed and my husband would sit at the other side of the bed, I would get up to vomit. That movement would make me vomit, the pain from that movement. It was just... It was, That's incredible. And how long did this go on for? So, when I was 13, it started. And then I got a pill, I got one of the morning, or sorry, one of the contraceptive pills mm. from when I was about 13. But then... Well, when I was about 14, maybe, and I took that right up until about six years ago. And that only worked sometimes, like maybe I'd only have five months of the vomiting per year then. But it was very unpredictable. You couldn't tell. You couldn't tell if this was the month where you'd be stuck to the bed or the couch or the bathroom floor, or if this was the month where you'd be able to walk, but have the pain, but be able to walk and slightly do your normal activities. What did you do? I mean, when did this escalate up through the, the medical ranks? So what I did was I, about, must have been about four years ago now, I went into one of the GPs that actually, she was more, she was a lot more understanding. And she, I asked for um, a referral to gynae. And over the years I had had a number of ultrasounds, sorry, but there was nothing in them. And then I asked to be put through to gynecology. She said there was a long waiting list. I said, that's fine. Uh, thinking the long waiting list would be 12 weeks, 16 weeks or something. But anyway, turns out the waiting list was 89 weeks. Right. And I finally got it. 
to see a uh, gynecologist and it was actually like something out of the handmaiden's tale. It was so impersonal. You weren't involved in any part of your treatment. They brought everybody in. They like it was just it was crazy. And were they able to do anything? No. Well, what they did was they had um, the consultant was sitting in the middle of the room, and you walk past the consultant. So everybody was sitting on the floor. You walk past the consultant, and they take two women in at a time. So two two doctors under the consultant took two women in at the same time into two clinical rooms off the big room that the consultant was in. There was no, like, even, like, there was no good morning, no nothing. Walking around the consultant's desk, that was fine. That was one, you know, after waiting 90 yeah. weeks and you're going in for something that's quite, you know, quite invasive, you know, just the plain bedside manner mm-hmm. wasn't there even from the start. But anyway, um, then brought into these clinical rooms and we were checked obviously internally, and the ultrasounds were checked and they said, oh, there's nothing in the ultrasound again, and internally uh, examined. And they, what she, the doctor was looking at me, she said, oh, I'll bring your case to the, to the consultant. And you had no part of it. You had, he, she was like, I'll explain your case to the consultant. You had no, I thought the consultant was brought into the room and we would discuss the options or, you know, things like that, but nothing. Mm-hmm. She, her words were, I'll discuss your case. The consultant walked outside the door and gave the consultant my details of my story and what my symptoms were. And I had no part in that, in that um, care, in that, what's called, like, um, treatment plan. None. Okay. It was just, it was crazy. And then when she came back in, she said, oh, we're going to have to do surgery. And if that, if there's um, anything in the ovaries or anything, obviously they'll they may have to be removed if they can't take it away. And you know you've the risk of hysterectomy, you've the risk of bowel um, perforation or stoma, and that's one of the highest risks of this laparoscopic surgery. And I asked her what would the risks be, and she couldn't tell me what the risks would be in my case. It's the <laughs> But, and that's that's a very basic that's yeah. a basic thing to know if you're if you're a consultant doing that procedure, like well, that's it's a basic thing for consult for to be able to consent to patients yeah. to be able to tell them what level of risk they're facing. A lot of the things I I noticed, Joanne, in, in talking to you and and some of the other women yesterday, it's all it's often just down to communication. Oh, a lot or, of it uh, is, yeah, a lot of it is yeah, a lot of it is, and even. When I actually went to, I went to London a few weeks ago um, to have this done and a completely stark difference. Really? Uh, completely. I had an ultrasound, an internal ultrasound, and within, I'd say within five seconds, he was. He said, this is stage four, deep, severe, deep infiltrating endometriosis. About seconds, I was just, I was actually blown away. Like, it was yeah. just crazy. And how has all of this, you know, like affected your, I suppose your your relationships and and day to day living with with family and friends? I suppose the biggest thing, like, uh, it's great that work has has thankfully, very rarely been, um, very rarely been. It's, I was working shift work for a while, so I was always avoiding my the days of my the worst days of my period, but. Um, when I changed roles and I was in meetings and stuff, like meetings would, 
you'd be there, you'd be sitting there and anything could happen during the mm-hmm. meeting because you cannot concentrate. Like all, all that was in my head was, please don't vomit, please don't vomit. Like across the table at important meetings, it's just even, and that would be after taking, at that stage I was on strong painkillers at that stage then. But they were suppository painkillers because I couldn't obviously take anything by mouth. But um, even at that, trying to, trying to, you couldn't make big decisions or anything. You couldn't partake in a proper meeting because you could not concentrate. You mentioned like you've been to London. Um, you you've had the first surgery there. Is that I've I've had the first one done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and is I, there follow up to that then as well, Joanne? I mean, do you have to go back or? So the short I've had shortness of breath for a long time. I'd say about I'd say about ten years. But um, I always thought maybe it was asthma or something. Or you know, I never really there was no real um education about the endometriosis. I think now the show has brought this show has brought a lot of um, you know attention to it and it's great. But I don't I never knew at that stage you know about the endometriosis kind of the way it can go through your body yeah. and the way it can cause. I have to different. be honest, that, I mean, I've been talking to, to to women about this for for weeks at this stage, Joanne, on the show, and, and I, I I mean it just shows my ignorance. I I wasn't aware at all that endometriosis was was something that you know could spread to. Your, your, you know, your, your lungs, or I, I, yeah. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, sure, I haven't. I didn't know. <laughs> you know, and yet so. it seems that so, so many women that have quite aggressive endometriosis, it's, it seems to be, you know, relatively common anyway. Certainly, or anecdotally, I can say from the, you know, the people I've been talking yeah. to on the show, you know, yeah, it is, it is, and and they did say before that the um, the amount of of endometriosis in the chest or in the Oral cavity was very used to be very rare, but actually it just turns out that it wasn't being investigated. Like it's just a lot of it has gone under the radar. So because the shortness of breath now, they're going to have to go in, and next time we're going to have to have three surgeons. So we'll have to have cardiothoracic hematopathy to move the liver and gyne surgery. So there'll be ten incision points, and they'll have to go from on top of the diaphragm and below from the mm-hmm. abdomen again. And they'll have to excise it together so that they don't put, you know, they don't put a huge hole in the diaphragm. They don't puncture the, the liver, the lungs, the heart. And when are you getting this done, Joanne? Because of the shortness of breath. No, no, and sorry. When? Oh, when? When? Oh, are you? Sorry, when? Um, when um, I'm due to go in October is the next one. Okay. And I was, I have spoke to. Obviously, there's an endometriosis group for women on Facebook, and I spoke to a lot of people going out to the surgeon in London before I before I did it, um, just to hear their stories. Mm. And ninety percent of them had had surgery in Ireland three or four times this lap, uh, the laparoscopic procedures, but the procedures had only ablated the endometriosis that was there, so it only burnt off the surface, and then they had ended up going they had ended up going three to four times in Ireland and their symptoms came back after two weeks and they were told they were told by their gynees that it's all in their heads that they've been in there, they've removed it and they went over to this man in London within a month to six weeks later and there is still a huge amount of endometriosis left that had not been excised by the Irish um gynae. Do you feel disheartened, Joanne? 
Um, I do feel the time, but I think like I've I've done this now for about twenty. I've this one of like twenty years at this. You know, like I think you you need to be very strong to stand up for to stand up for yourself and communicate to yourself. But the thing is, endometriosis strips you of that confidence because you're in there and you're you're deflated and you can't stand up. You can't. Well, I'm well able to stand up for myself, but it mm. deflates you to a stage where you just can't. On those day, you know those times when you're yeah. when you need it the most, you can't fight because mm-hmm. you're not strong enough to fight. You know, and it shouldn't be that way. And I presume, you know, if you're going to London, you're you're doing all of this privately, Joanne. I'm doing it all privately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I am, but I, I I thought that you know, given the like, there are a lot of gynae, um surgeons in Ireland that deal with endometriosis but they do not they don't have the expertise from from what I can see to and and that was clarified for me in London when I went over I know I asked why it was such a myself and my husband we were just saying why is it so bad in Ireland and he just said they there's a lack of expertise in that way he said for these for these um procedures where like so mine will be a very complex case because it has it was complex in the pelvis because it was also up against the urethra and the bowel all the all the nerves, yeah. But it's also it's more complex I now know. because it's in the and it's that's you know when you talk to people and the different experiences that they have. But you know, I I suppose to be fair as well, maybe to you know to the to the medics here. Um, the hope is that I think with the certainly with this end the endometriosis clinic at Tala Hospital that there'll be mm. you know quite specialised care there. Joanne, listen, thank you for for getting in touch with us. Um, best of luck in October. Uh, keep in touch thanks with us, Joanne. I'm sure it'll it'll not be the last time we're talking about this on the show. And uh, thanks for for reaching out to us today. Thanks very much. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.